Welcome to the W2 Prison Break Show, a podcast and YouTube series hosted by real estate investor, author, and coach Brian O'Neill. Tune in each week as we interview business owners who have successfully planned and executed their W2 Prison Break. You'll hear their stories, learn about their challenges, and what ultimately pushed them over the edge and gave them the courage to break free. Most importantly, you'll discover they are not much different than you. Listen in each week as we give you useful insights and action items to start your W-2 prison break and get you on the path you were always meant to be on. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the W-2 Prison Break Show. We are very excited to introduce our next guest, Alan Stein. Junior. He was an NBA performance coach for 15 years. He's now a corporate keynote speaker, but he worked with NBA players, Kobe Bryant, Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, just to name a few. And he helped increase their performance. And we're going to talk a lot today about habits and getting back to the basics and why the small stuff matters much more than the big stuff. A lot of us get wrapped up in big, huge, large goals, and we don't focus on the basics, the stuff that you have to do consistently on a daily basis when no one's watching. Alan's going to provide some tremendous, tremendous insight here. You're going to love the episode. And without any further delay, let's get right to it. Alan, thanks so much for agreeing to be on the show today. I'm just, I'm super excited to chat with you. I've been looking forward to this interview for a few weeks now. Oh, absolutely. My pleasure. And I have as well. We're going to have a great conversation. Yeah, we met through a mutual friend. So, I mean, the power of networking is a real thing. And I just wanted to say first and foremost, uh, I know I thank you for being on the show, but I also want to thank you for writing your book, Sustain Your Game. A mutual friend of mine said, hey, you got to check out this book, Brian. And, you know, I'm one of those guys that, you know, whenever a credible person gives me a book to read, I just download it, right? I order on Amazon or put it on the Audible and you know, really, really inspiring stuff and also very easy to follow. So I would recommend anyone, for everyone listening, that that's just a book you got to pick up and get right away. Oh, well, I appreciate that so much. As an author, that's the best compliment someone can give you. And I've said this to a variety of different people, but I always make sure that I lead with the fact that folks know that I write the books that I need to read myself, that I find it both liberating and very empowering and somewhat therapeutic to write about the very things that I find challenging. And, you know, the main premise of Sustain Your Game is how we can continue to find enjoyment and fulfillment while simultaneously performing at a very high level for long periods of time. And, you know, I found that the three things that undermine that are stress, stagnation, and burnout. And those are three things that have plagued me for many years. So writing the book was a very helpful tool for me to write. And I'm incredibly grateful that it was helpful for you to read. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I must admit that I didn't know that you had written Raise Your Game prior to that. So I kind of went out of order. So maybe talk a little bit about the first, because there's some, there's a story behind the first book and why you, and then why you wrote the second book as well. 
Absolutely. And the cool part is I intentionally wrote them that they did not have to be read in order. You know, I mean, so they're standalone works, although there are some slight references and obviously some crossover in philosophy and perspective. I wrote Raise Your Game and that came out in 2019. And really the premise of Raise Your Game is what do you need to do to show up as your best self consistently to reach that proverbial mountaintop? And then Sustain Your Game was more along the lines of once you've reached it, how can you stay there with a high sense of fulfillment? And I will share in full transparency, if I had it to do over again, I would probably come up with a different title for the second book that I found that the word sustain, although it's incredibly accurate to what I was trying to explain and describe, the word sustain is not a very sexy word. It's not a word that draws people in, you know, and I also wanted to make the clarification that I don't believe any of us ever actually reach that proverbial mountaintop. I mean, speaking for myself, I will be on that climb for my entire life. And that's the way that I want it. I don't ever want to arrive. I enjoy the quest and the pursuit. And I think the title of Sustain, some people thought, well, I don't need to read this because I haven't reached that mountaintop yet. So, you know, hindsight is always a huge teacher. And going back, I would have probably named it something different because I'll always be simultaneously raising and sustaining my game in every area of my life. Yeah. It sounds like, and I just wrote this down, it sounds like you're more of a process guy than an outcome guy. A hundred percent. You nailed that. And that's actually one of the things that I uncovered in Raise Your Game. And it's something that, you know, on stage and on page, I'm a keynote speaker by trade, is one of the most important things that I share with any audience is it's important to have goals. It's important to have desired outcomes. It's important to know what you're shooting at because that will help give you the clarity that you need, you know, to make sure you're on the right track. And it can also serve as an inspiring and motivational force behind it. But once you've established whatever your goal or North Star is, then I'm a huge believer in taking your eyes off of it and putting it on the process, figuring out, you know, what are the habits, the mindsets, the skill sets, the actionable daily things that I need to do to inch myself closer to reaching that goal. And if you can put most of your focus and attention on the process, that gives you the best chance to actually reach that goal. Completely agree. And I love the chapter on focus too. And look, I'm like many entrepreneurs and I'm, I have no problem admitting this. I'm easily distracted, right? I'm a doer, high achiever. I might in some way be addicted to the stress that comes along with that. But I've also realized that being singularly focused is super important. And I know you're huge on this. Can you please expand for the listeners how important having singular focus is. And I've heard you talk about statistics too, about when you start doing multiple things at once, how detrimental that can be. Oh, most certainly. And I'm very similar to you in that there's a lot of things that I want to be doing. There's a lot of things I find attractive. There's a lot of things that I at least consider pursuing. And for me, reining it back in and having that singular focus is really important to the tune of if you've heard of the concept every new year's that john gordon established called one word where you basically just pick one word my word for this year for 2023 is focus i will not go as far as to say i was unfocused in 2022 but i didn't have that razor sharp pinpoint precision that i'm trying to have 
in every area of my life at present. So focus is really important. The short way to explain it is one of my favorite quotes of all time. And I don't know who said this originally, or I would give them proper attribution. And that is, if you try and chase two rabbits, they both get away. So in other words, you got to focus on the one rabbit you're going after and you go after that sucker with everything that you've got. And as comical as that quote may be, there's a lot of truth to that. And to dive into it a little bit more, there was a study done by a gentleman named John Berardi, who founded a company called Precision Nutrition, you know, well over a decade ago. And he was very curious about habits in particular. And he found that when someone had singular focus on trying to improve one habit or one behavior, if you will, that they had an 85% chance of actually changing that behavior, which statistically is pretty solid. I'm not a gambler by nature, but you tell me I got an 85% chance of winning something, I'm placing some money on that and making that bet. But what was fascinating was then the second group, he had tried to change two behaviors at the same time, two habits at the same time, and their percentage of success plummeted to around 40%. So immediately, just by diverting your attention to two things, you cut your success rate in half. And if that wasn't enough, and you can probably see where we're going with this, the group that tried to change three behaviors simultaneously or three habits, their percentage of success hovered around the four or five percent mark. So you go from 85 percent success to five percent merely by diverting your attention and your resources and your focus into multiple areas. And once I read that, then I realized the importance of focus. And I also want to clarify, too, that there's this purveying myth about being able to multitask when the research has shown that multitasking is not something that actually we can do as humans. What we do is we get very efficient at switching back and forth from one task to the next. You know, So if you think you're multitasking when you're driving and texting, you're not. You're driving, then you're texting, then you're driving, then you're texting. And obviously we know how dangerous that can be, but it's the same thing with anything. So for me, because I love systems and processes, I try to put systems and processes in place in my life that will make it easier for me to remain focused and avoid certain temptations. So perfect example, right now, the most important thing in my life is this conversation with you and adding value to your listeners. So I have shut off all notifications. I've turned my phone off. I don't have the TV going. I'm not folding laundry. I'm not doing anything but giving you exactly what you deserve, which is my full undivided attention. And But that takes the discipline to put those systems and processes in place. So there's no pings and dings and vibrations and other things going on that can easily divert my attention and get me out of focus. So for me, it always goes back to systems and processes. Yeah, great share, Al. And I'm not surprised at all on the 4% when you do the third thing. And yeah, you know, the iPhone is probably the greatest distraction that was ever invented. And it's difficult. Like, you know, we talk about this stuff and we make it sound simple, but this is not easy stuff to do. Would, Would you agree? It's hard to focus on one thing at a time because maybe it's a little boring to focus on one thing at a time. Oh, it's incredibly difficult. I mean, it's I would go as far as to say it's my biggest challenge every single day of my life. And, you know, ultimately what we're asking folks to do is learn how to dial in and be present. 
you know, in addition to the iPhone, and I agree, but real quick tangent, that's another area that I've tried to systematize and add processes in. So for me personally, and all I'm doing is sharing, I'm not here to tell anyone else that they need to follow suit or do the same thing, but I've chosen to remove all social media from my phone. So I only check it when I'm on my laptop. I've deleted every single app that is not absolutely necessary to my own performance and fulfillment as a human being. I have all notifications turned off. There are certain times where I put my phone in airplane mode, even if I'm not on an airplane, to ensure that nothing incoming is going to bother me. And by doing that, I've cut my own phone usage down about 200% from what it used to be four to five years ago. And I don't rely on willpower. I don't try to white knuckle myself through it. I know that if I have a bunch of notifications, I'm going to check them. So I put in the systems and processes to alleviate that. Back on course. Ultimately, what we're talking about with focus is the ability to be in the present moment. And in addition to things like the iPhone, two of the things that steal our attention and our focus is we get easily distracted by things that have happened in the past, and we get easily anxious or worried about things that may or may not happen in the future. So we tend to spend a lot of mental currency and energy into the past and into the future, two places that actually don't exist. I mean, they exist in language and they exist in our thoughts, but you can never go back to the past. Again, outside of language or outside of our own memories. And you can never actually be in the future, you know, because whenever you arrive in the future, it's now the present. The future is always going to be an arm's length away. And while I absolutely believe in learning from the past, and I absolutely believe in preparing for the future, I just don't believe we should live in either one of those spaces for very long. I think we need most of our mental, physical, and emotional currency lined up with what's going on in the moment and be present with whoever we're with or whatever that we're working on. And if you want me to unpack it some more, there's three components that are required to being in the present moment. I would love for you to do that, Alan. I just want to add one thing to what you said about the past, because I'm guilty of this too, is it seems a lot of us will focus on mistakes that we made. And it's a handful of things, maybe two, three, four, five things that we did in our life we just can't seem to let go of versus focusing on, hey, there might be a hundred or a thousand things that are awesome or great, like right in front of us right now, but we're carrying this sack with us, right? And I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, but, and then, yes, I would love to hear your tips on how to be present. No, I absolutely do. And one clarification to make, we cannot change the events of the past. We can change our perspective or our relationship with things that have happened in the past. There might be something in your past that at the time you thought was one of the worst things to ever happen to you, but now with some maturity and some different perspective and time, you can look back and say, that was actually one of the best things to ever happen to me because it put me on a new path or it taught me a new lesson. So we can change our relationship with things that have happened in the past. And depending on what you've been through or certain traumas, that may be a very important step to take, but we can never go back and undo. You know, I spent most of my career in the basketball space. And, you know, you take somebody like Stephen Curry, who in my opinion, and the opinion of many others is the greatest shooter to ever play the game. And one of the reasons that he's the greatest shooter to ever play the game, yes, he has great footwork and great mechanics, He's incredibly athletic. He has depth perception and spatial awareness and coordination. He's put in millions and millions of task-specific repetitions. But one of the reasons is he doesn't drag baggage from the past into the present. Stephen Curry can start a game going 0 for 7, missing his first seven shots. 
It doesn't happen often because he's that good, but it statistically has happened before. But when he's shooting that eighth shot, he doesn't let the previous seven misses have any impact on him shooting that eighth shot. If anything, he shoots that eighth shot with the confidence that he had made the previous seven shots. And that is really, really hard to do. It is hard not to let previous low performance impact current performance. So his ability to kind of wipe that slate clean and take every single shot as if it's its own is really important. I mean, that dude could miss 50 shots in a row and he would still beg for the ball when there's two seconds left and the score is tied because he always believes the next shot is going in and he doesn't ever worry about what happened. And that takes practice. That takes an incredible amount of resilience and mental toughness, but that's a skill set that he's developed over time the same way he's developed his shooting mechanics and his footwork. So the three things that one needs to do to stay involved in the present moment. Number one, I kind of just covered is you need to learn to refocus the lens on the next play. Don't worry about the play that just happened. Focus on the next play. If you turn the ball over or you missed an easy shot or the referee didn't make a call, don't worry about it. Focus on what's right in front of you. And this is so applicable to entrepreneurs, to sales professionals, to executives, you know, whatever it may be, you make nine sales calls in a row and they don't go very well, or you get the no, are you going into that 10th call with optimism and having that resilience? Are you able to avoid the temptation to drag that baggage from the past? Because if you let those nine no's, you know, weather you away, then you're going to bring less than your best self to that 10th call. And you're actually going to reduce the chance that you're going to get the yes that you're going after. So the first thing is, we refocus the lens on the next play. Mm -hmm. Second thing is learn to refocus your lens on what you have control over and learn to let go of the things that you don't. We call this control the controllables. And I'm of the belief that there's only two things in this world we have 100% control over 100% of the time. And that is our own effort and our own attitude. And going back to, you know, some of the things I teed up earlier, if you can put the vast majority of your attention focus into your own effort and attitude, just let everything else kind of take care of itself. And then the third component we've already covered because you teed it up so insightfully is learn to refocus the lens on the process. Don't worry so much about outcomes, focus on the process. Outcomes are important, but the best way to get outcomes is to have a surefire proven process and to stick with that. And it, you know, nothing in life is guaranteed, but the best way to statistically give yourself a chance at reaching any goal you set is to do the work every single day, is to have a process in place and wake up every day saying, what can I do today that will systematically, progressively, and incrementally take me a little bit closer to that North Star or that goal? And if yeah. you do that every single day, in most cases, it's not a matter of if you'll hit your goal. It's just a matter of when. Yeah. I love the three. And it's interesting because I was just talking to my son. I have an 11-year-old son. He's playing travel baseball. And he's not emotionally capable to deal with some of this stuff. But I tell him, it's like, hey, you know, you struck out. You, you know, it's too bad. It's going to happen. You got to let it go, right? But this is true for everyone in life. And again, this sounds simple. And it is simple. And you explain it so simple. But to refocus on the next play is easier said than done, I think. Oh, yeah. And well, well, what are your guys doing? That, yeah, I'm so glad you said that. I didn't mean to interrupt you. I get so excited, as you can no, tell. Please. But one of the most important distinctions we make, and you just made it there brilliantly, is the difference between something that is basic 
and something that is easy. See, people make the mistake of using those words as if they're interchangeable, but they're not synonymous. Everything I'm sharing with you right now is incredibly basic. I don't think any of your listeners' heads are going to explode by what I'm sharing. This stuff is very basic. Nothing that I'm sharing with you right now is easy to do. Those do not mean the same thing. So we have to continue to focus on the basics and use the basics as the framework and the foundation to which the rest of the house is built. But we have to have the humility to acknowledge that none of this stuff is easy. There is nothing easy about being 11 years old, striking out in baseball and being able to wipe the slate clean. That is a really difficult skill set. There are guys in the major leagues that don't have that skill set, but it's one that can be developed over time in the right environment with the proper encouragement and support and with the proper coaching. So yeah, none of this stuff is easy. And, and I always make this disclaimer. I'm so thankful to do what I do for a living and I get to travel the world and be on some pretty good stages and, and get to share a message with a lot of people. But I always make sure folks know that everything I share, whether on stage or on page, is not coming from a place of mastery. All this stuff I'm sharing with you right now, I have not mastered. Now, what I can say with a huge smile and a tremendous amount of pride is I've made progress in all of these areas. With everything we've talked about so far and pretty much anything I imagine we'll talk about moving forward, I'm better at these things today than I was a year ago, five years ago, or 10 years ago. But I'm also not done yet. I will continue to level up my ability to stay focused, to move to the next play to control the controllables, to focus on processes and untether from outcomes. These are areas that I've made progress and I'm proud of that progress. But as I mentioned earlier, when talking about the books, I'll be on the climb of improvement and I'll always be under construction in every one of these areas. I love it. Thanks, Alan. You know, and you mentioned the, you know, corporate, you're a corporate keynote speaker. You were in the NBA, you were working in the NBA for what, 15 years or so around that time. You look like you're having a great time on stage. So you're doing something that you're passionate about. You really look like you're enjoying yourself, I must say. Oh, I'm having a blast and I'm very thankful. And, you know, when I was in the basketball space, while I had a chance to do some work with some NBA players, most of my work was actually focused on the youth and high school age, which is was a preference of mine. That was where I felt I could make the biggest difference in their lives. The NBA stuff is what kind of got the notoriety. But my most of my work and attention was at the high school level and trying to teach a lot of these principles. And basketball has afforded me some amazing experiences. I've gotten to meet some great people and travel the world. And it's been remarkable. And when I decided to make this pivot, pun very much intended, to leave basketball and pursue corporate keynote speaking in 2017, that's really what I looked. My primary job was to take all of these lessons and strategies and disciplines and rituals that I learned through basketball and teach folks how to apply those to their businesses and their lives. So yeah, I'm very thankful that I've kind of had two different careers, but both of which I found immense purpose and an immense passion in. And you mentioned a great a great two words, purpose and passion. And it is my firm belief, and not everyone's doing it clearly, but that you can build a business or you can you can do what you love. You can do what you're passionate about and have purpose. I just think a lot of people maybe get stuck, number one, maybe figuring out what that passion might be or what their skill level is. They have fears, they have doubts. You might have some opinions here. And you know, a lot of people listen to the show are in positions, whether it's a W-2 job or a relationship, whatever it is, if they're not happy with, they feel stuck. They don't really know what the first step is. And maybe you have some insight, Alan, for the listeners as to you know, how you discovered your passion, which is now corporate speaking, 
because you were doing, you know, you were working as an MBA motivational guy. How did you get to that point and what steps would you, and what advice would you give to the listeners in terms of like how to discover that? Well, the single best piece of advice I've ever been given to this day, I was thankfully given in middle school. And that was from a middle school coach who said, Alan, the key to not only high performance, but the key to success and the key to fulfillment and enjoyment is to find your strength zone. And your strength zone is the intersection between what you love to do and what you're naturally pretty good at. So find what you're passionate about and find where you have some natural talent, some natural affinity and find where those two things intersect and wherever they intersect, that's your strength zone. And the more time you can spend invested in your strength zone, working on your craft and leveling up in your strength zone, the greater percentage chance that you'll be impactful, you'll be influential, that you'll you'll be significant, that you'll have fulfillment, that you'll enjoy it. Now, this doesn't mean that you can't do things outside of that. You know, I tell folks all the time, if you're passionate about something, but maybe you don't have a tremendous amount of natural talent, that's the perfect recipe for a hobby or for something to do on the side. But as far as your primary vocation and where you'll leave your biggest imprint on the world, it's probably best if there's some alignment there and and there's an intersection. And, you know, for me, as I look back, I'm 47 years old, you know, the first third of my life, that intersection was as a basketball player. You know, I love the game of basketball and and I was decent enough to play in high school and college. I wasn't decent enough to play after that, but I was decent enough that I had the talent and the passion to be a pretty good player. But then when it was when I did not have the requisite talent to play professionally, my point of intersection needed to move. And then it became being a basketball performance coach. So I had a passion for the game. I had a newfound passion of strength and conditioning and fitness and mindset. And thankfully, I've had some natural affinity and talents in the ability to communicate, the ability to articulate a point of view, the ability to motivate others. So I was still staying true to that strength zone. And then the current iteration, you know, now since 2017, as a keynote speaker and writer, same thing. I mean, you can hear in my voice, this is something I'm very passionate about. And I've worked on the skill sets to be fairly decent at speaking to large groups and to writing books. I mean, I've got plenty of room for improvement in both areas, but they're things that I love and they're things that I'm pretty decent at. And that's the recipe. And I don't know how long I'll do this right now. I don't see any finish line, but if 20 years from now, I choose to pivot to something different, I have no idea what that thing will be, but I can promise you it will still meet the requirements of being in my strength zone. And that's one thing that I want to make sure your listeners know is this point of intersection will change over time Mm -hmm. as you start to develop new passions and you start to uncover new talents and just be very self-aware to where that intersection can lead you. That's a great share. I have a question for you on your speaking. Do you ever get nervous? And how do you mitigate that? I don't get nervous. I get excited. And interesting enough, they conjure many of the same feelings. A lot of it comes down to terminology. I mean, you know, I get excitement the way I used to get excited before a basketball game. Like my armpits and palms are sweating. I got a little bit of butterflies. Like I know something's at stake. I know this is important. I know that I've prepared and I want to give my best. And with that comes a very healthy excitement. And I wouldn't want it any other way. I mean, to be honest, the day I wake up and I don't feel that excitement before I step on stage, will be the day that I find something else to do because that excitement is what keeps me alive. And the way I'm able to mitigate or reduce what other people would call nervousness is through some due diligence and rehearsal and preparing 
You know, I'm incredibly disciplined when it comes to preparing for an engagement and I put a lot of time into it. And I find that the more I do from a preparation standpoint, there's an inverse relationship for that and nerves. So yeah, it's a very healthy excitement. I love it. And if it doesn't, if you're not excited, if it's not, then it doesn't mean anything to you. So I appreciate you sharing that. I've heard you talk about vision, life vision. I talk about this a lot. I talk about this a lot on my show and with a, a lot of the students that I work with. A lot of them don't have vision. They don't have a vision for their life or a plan for their life. And we plan everything, vacations, restaurant reservations, but the most important plan is neglected. So I know you have a vision. Can you give some insight or some tips as to how you would develop something like that? And then I want to talk to you a little bit about, once I have the vision, the action items and the habits to get to that 10 or 15 or 20 year vision, whatever you whatever you set. Most certainly. And let's start with that part, because I think to some people, depending on your age and life experience, mm-hmm. it can be hard to try to forecast yourself 20 years in advance. So for some people, their vision only needs to be maybe one or two years out, you know, and I think that's important. You know, when I was 15, I didn't give much thought to anything after being 16, to be honest with you. But now at 47, I give a tremendous amount of thought to what I'll be like at 67, 20 years from now. So that will also be somewhat of a sliding scale. And for me, as I said before, this is just a construct that works for me. My vision is primarily focused on the person I'm trying to become. It's not so much about tangible goals and achievements or places I want to go or things I want to do. It's more about who is the person I want to become. Because if I can work to become that person, I think I'll attract all of that other stuff into my life and I'll have opportunities to meet great people like you and to travel to cool places. So for me, I put much more of my focus on who I want to become. And here's the framework that I actually use. I'm 47. I'm crystal clear on the man I want to be 20 years from now, the 67-year-old Alan. Now, with that, I can say with full humility that I totally recognize that time is not promised and tomorrow is not guaranteed. There's nothing that guarantees that I'll see the age of 67. However, I prioritize my self-care. I take a tremendous amount of time to work on my physical, mental, and emotional health. So barring something unforeseen or unexpected, I don't see any reason why I shouldn't live to 67. So I'm going to go through this with the optimism that I will. And I want the 67-year-old Alan to be physically, mentally, and emotionally fit. I want the 67-year-old Alan to have a strong, deep connection with his children, his family, his friends, and his colleagues and coworkers. I want the 67-year-old Alan to be doing work at that time that is within his strength zone and is making a meaningful contribution to those around him. I want to add value and be of service to others. So on a, not getting too granular, that's kind of who I'm trying to be 60, you know, 20 years from now when I'm 67. The way I use that is all of the decisions that I make in present day, I run through the filter of, is making this decision going to take me closer to being that guy? Or is it going to take me further away? I intentionally make it binary. And I try to make as many decisions as I can to what time I go to bed, to what I'm going to eat for lunch, to who I follow on Instagram, to what I watch on Netflix. I ask myself, is doing this taking me closer to being that 67-year-old version or further away? And then every single day of my life, I do the best I can to make as many decisions as I can. And I'm not perfect. I'm definitely not batting a thousand, 
but I try to make as many decisions as I can that are in alignment with the person I want to become. And the litmus test is every single night before I go to bed, I ask myself this question. I say, Alan, you just traded 24 hours of your life for the progress that you made today. Are you happy with that trade? And if the answer is yes, I get a very restful, peaceful night's sleep. On the very rare occasion that the answer is no, I'm able to move to the next play and I still get a peaceful night's sleep because I know tomorrow I got another chance at this thing. And the last thing I'll say on this is I don't want someone to hear what I'm saying and think that I am delaying happiness or delaying fulfillment. I'm not delaying anything because keep in mind, even though that's the vision of who I have for myself, I'm making all of these decisions in the present, which means I hope this doesn't sound like it's lacking humility. Instead, it should be laced with gratefulness. Right now at 47, I am physically, mentally, and emotionally fit. I have a deep connection with my children, family, friends, loved ones, and colleagues, and I am absolutely doing work at present that I believe is meaningful and making a contribution to those around me. So I am already living the version of myself that I want to be when I'm 67. But what I'm doing is I'm laying the foundation and dropping the breadcrumbs to ensure that's who I will become. So I'm designing my future by the decisions that I make in the present. I love it. Designing your future. The key takeaway for me there was that you repeated the vision twice and it was verbatim. Like it was the same exact words both times. So clearly you've written this down and repeated it multiple times. And did you go through the exercise of writing it out? And like, how much time did you spend working on the 67-year-old vision? I mean, this is something that there's iterations of it that have been going on for years. I mean, because keep in mind, when I was 44, my vision was being 64. And yes, but I'm a huge believer and it sounds like you are as well. You know, vague visions will give you vague results. You know, if you're kind of ambiguous in what it is that you're trying to pursue, then you're going to get very ambiguous results. So I'm pretty crystal clear on that. Now, I choose to keep it somewhat macro level. I mean, you know, we could really get into the weeds of, well, what does it mean to be physically fit? What does it mean to be mentally or emotionally fit? And underneath that, we would have some, you know, bullet points that could be, you know, much more descriptive. I mean, like physical wellness is an easy one. I mean, we could do an entire hour podcast on what I consider to be physically fit. So I'm speaking more in the macro right now. You know, I want to make sure that I prioritize self-care. I prioritize my relationships and I'm of service to others. Like that's the three big pillars that are important to me. And underneath those, then I make sure that on a granular level, I'm very specific in what I'm trying to do. Beautiful. Okay. Now I think I had alluded to it before the vision, the vision question where now you obviously have to have the execution part, which are the habits and your process. So maybe share some of the habits that you're doing on a daily basis consistently that's really getting you to this 67-year-old version of Alan that you keep talking about. Most certainly. Well, the first thing is the question everyone needs to ask themselves, and this can be a really, really, really tough question. If you don't like where you are in your life, literally or metaphorically, you have to ask yourself, how am I complicit to where I am in my life. Like the first thing we have to do is try to reduce the temptation. And it is a very strong temptation to blame, complain, and make excuses, you know? And if we can step aside from that, if we can basically tell ourselves, look, my goal is to do the best I can with what I have wherever I am. 
I'm not going to blame, complain, or make excuses. And when something in my life is not living up to what I believe it should be, I'm going to ask myself, how am I complicit to creating this environment? Or how have I been complicit in creating this you know, result that I don't like? As soon as we try to defend or deflect accountability onto someone or something else, we end up losing power. So as hard as it may be, the first thing we need to do is look in the mirror and say, how have I created what it is that I don't like? And that is, I'm not saying, again, basic, definitely not easy. Then we need to start trying to create the life that we do want. And here's a really powerful, actionable exercise for your listeners. And I've done this with groups all over the world, and it can be a game changer. I believe that the bookends of our day, our morning and our evening routine, that kind of sandwich everything else that we have going on, play a massive role in our performance, in our fulfillment, in our success, in our achievement. So if we can take some semblance of control over the bookends of our day, it sets us up to be successful. So the exercise I have folks do is I get them to just take out a piece of paper and draw a vertical line down the middle. On the left side of the paper, I ask them to write down all of the things that fill their bucket, the things that light them up, that give them energy, that make them smile, things that fill them up mentally, physically, emotionally, and spiritually, if that's appropriate to them. What are the things that excite them? What are the things they're fascinated by? What are the things that when they do it, they just stand a little taller and they smile a little more and write those things down? And this could be anything from taking a yoga class to hopping on your Peloton bike to taking your dog for a walk. It could be listening to a podcast like yours. It could be watching a documentary. It could be enjoying a sunrise while you sip coffee. It could be reading the paper, like whatever it is, write down the things that nourish your soul and fill your bucket. Then on the right side of the line, on the right side of the paper, write down how you've been spending your morning and evening routine. What do you typically do the first 60 minutes after you wake up and the last 60 minutes before you go to bed and get crystal clear on what you've been doing? And this takes some courage, some honesty, and some vulnerability because I don't want you to write down what you think you should be doing or what other people on Facebook are doing. I want you to write down what you've been doing. If the very first thing you do when you wake up is hit the snooze alarm three times and then on the fourth time you start scrolling your emails, texts, and social media then just be honest and write that down. No judgment. There's no such thing as good or bad. I just want to get an accurate picture of what you've been doing. And then to complete the self-audit, I want you to compare the two sets of notes. And I want you to ask yourself a fundamental question when it comes to raising performance. And that is, are you doing the things that you know you need to do to make sure your bucket is full and you can be your best self? You know, are the things from the left side of the paper showing up in your morning and evening routine? And if not, then you've got some great room to improve. You've got some opportunities for growth because ultimately what you will have uncovered is what's called a performance gap. And a performance gap is the gap between what we know we should do to be our best self and what we're actually doing. And if we can incrementally, systematically, and progressively start to close that gap, slowly start to take the things from the left side of the paper and sprinkle them into the things on the right side of the paper, you will see performance, achievement, success, fulfillment start to skyrocket immediately. So we don't need to make it any harder than that. And I also want to say, you could even just do something for 10 minutes in the morning and 10 minutes at night, and it can make a big difference. This is not about you know paralysis by analysis and trying to create the perfect morning routine. You know, If you work two jobs and you're a single parent, I'm not telling you, you need to have a three hour morning routine. 
but can you prioritize 15 minutes to yourself, you know, before work or before the kids get up that can help nourish your soul and raise your battery level up so that you have more to offer when it is, when you're going through the world. So that's an exercise that folks are willing to do that. And it takes honesty and vulnerability and some courage, but if they're willing to do it, it's an absolute game changer. Evaluation of where you are now is one of the hardest steps, I think. And I would encourage everyone, if you're driving, obviously don't do it, but get the piece of paper out and take the exercise. It's not going to take you that long. And I get the morning routine thing as well. The bookends of the day. I love that, but you don't need a three hour morning routine. You don't have to have that. It's in, and I've heard you talk about, I say this a lot as well. If you have a list of 10, we all know what we're not supposed to be doing. We all know. We just need to write it out, right? We know what we should be doing. We know what we shouldn't be doing. Start with one thing. Like you could have it stack, like one thing, and then do that for a period of time. And then when you have that habit, add another one. Absolutely. Yes. In fact, I would encourage you to do that. I would actually discourage you from trying to change 10 things at once. Going back to chasing the two rabbits, you know, figure out the one thing that you believe could be most influential and do your best to incorporate that. And with all of this stuff, I want folks to incorporate it and try to make these changes, but give themselves some grace and some space to be less than perfect. Give yourself some space. I don't want anyone, I don't want the feeling they get from doing this exercise to be self-critical or self-loathing or beat themselves up. You know, don't worry about what it was that you did yesterday. Focus on what it is you're going to do today, that next play mentality and, you know, and build slowly. And just know that this is very challenging to do and it's challenging for everybody. But if you can have that, you know, if you can have the ability to prioritize what you need to do in order to start making these changes, but then still be kind enough to yourself and forgiving enough to be less than perfect. You know, I tell folks all the time, don't worry about where you are in this moment compared to the direction that you're headed. Just make sure you're facing in the right direction or your arrow is is going forward or going up. Don't beat yourself up if while you're listening to this, you say, my morning routine this morning was awful. Don't worry about it. Do the best you can to get a good night's sleep and wake up tomorrow and just make it just a little bit better. You know, and that's the thing. Also, we don't have to make these large, you know, sweeping changes to everything that we do. If you can just get a little bit better in several areas of your life consistently, you'll notice a huge change as the weeks, months, and years start to stack. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I love the one at a time. Are there any, what are the habits that you have that you think move really move the needle? for you? You know, again, I'll speak more in the macro and on a macro level within the first hour of every day I wake up, I try to do something that engages my mind, my body, and and let's just say my heart. So something for the physical, the mental, and the emotional. Now within that, it can vary. You know, sometimes for the physical, I'll go for an eight mile jog. Sometimes I'll just do some light stretching and some foam roll. Sometimes I'll strength train sometimes. So it can vary. You know, from a mental standpoint, sometimes I'll read something or I'll watch something or listen to something from an emotional standpoint. Can I engage in a conversation? You know, so I just want to do something that kind of gets me going before I jump on the hedonic treadmill of email, text messages, social media, and all of that type of stuff. There's a time and a place for all of that. And those are all very important communication modes and mechanisms. But for me, I find that I get myself in a much more optimistic and confident mental state 
when I can do at least a little bit of those things when I first wake up. And, you know, because I travel a lot because I'm speaking, I try to be very consistent to having a morning routine, whether I'm at home, whether I'm traveling, whether I have my kids, you know, I have all different versions of my own schedule. So that's also something I try to keep very consistent is my morning and my evening routine. I love it. I love it. And, you know, I used to travel to for my W2 and I was still working and it's challenging on the road too. So I'm glad that you have established, you probably have a variation of it on the road because you don't, you're not at your house, but, you know, just to have these, you know, like you said, it could be 15 minutes, it can be an hour. It doesn't have to be the entire morning. Just set yourself up for success in the morning so that you can win the day, stack a bunch of great days together and you ultimately get to that vision that you keep talking about. Absolutely. And one thing you kind of alluded to before perfectly, but I want to tug on it a little bit more is this concept of awareness. I want folks to know that awareness is always the first step to improvement. And that's because you'll never improve something you're unaware of, and you'll never fix something you're oblivious to. So I've really enjoyed this conversation we've had. And if the only thing someone got out of this conversation was an awareness that maybe they don't have clarity on their vision, or an awareness that maybe they don't have a morning routine that is serving them. That is a huge win. Then you and I totally did our job because we got someone to be aware of something that they can now start to make improvement in. So if you're listening to this and you feel the temptation to self-loathe or be self-critical or you're not pleased with what you've been doing, give yourself a high five or a fist bump that you now have an awareness that something needs to be improved, something needs to be fixed. And that is a huge first step because a lot of people go through life with very low awareness They have no idea that they need to fix these things. So if nothing else, and I hope folks got several nuggets out of our conversation, but if all they got was just a light bulb going off that I need to fix this thing, that's a good thing. And by saying fix, that doesn't mean that you're broken. That doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you at present. It just means you've established something that you'd like to level up. And that in and of itself is a massive first step and one that should be celebrated. Agreed. And and again, as you had said, basic but not easy. Awareness is a basic tool, but it's not easy to become aware. A lot of the times we're running around, we don't, we don't, we're not aware of what's happening, right? We're not, yeah. we're, we're just not. Do you have any advice for the listeners on how you maybe can improve your awareness or at least get to the stage where you're, again, as you say, the arrow's going in the right direction? Well, interesting enough, it sounds very counterintuitive. But one of the best ways to heighten self-awareness is to solicit the perspective of others. Now, not random people off of the street and not superficial Facebook friends, but the people that know you the best because they can help you see blind spots that you're not aware that you have. You know, I can tell you right now, I have blind spots even at present. Now, I don't know what they are. That's why they're called blind spots. But I've insulated myself with people that love me enough and care enough about me to tell me the things that I don't see, you know, and that is really important. And that takes a certain level of humility and openness, but you also have to strategically put people in your life that can help you do that. And ultimately, when we're talking about awareness, we're talking about making sure there is alignment between the way you see yourself and the way the rest of the world sees you. That's what awareness is. A perfect example. If I ask you if you're a good listener, which by the way, you are a phenomenal listener, but if I ask you if you're a good listener and you say yes, and then I ask the people that know you the best, your spouse, your child, some close work friends, and I ask them and they all say, no, Brian is an awful listener. That would mean you are lacking awareness. You think you're a good listener, 
The rest of the world disagrees. You are lacking the awareness to know that you're not a very good listener. As funny as it sounds, if I asked you if you're a good listener and you said, Alan, to be honest, not really. It's an area that I, I really need to improve. It's a huge opportunity for growth. I'm a very mediocre listener at present. And I ask those same people and they say, yeah, Brian's not a very good listener. That would actually mean you have very high self-awareness. You are aware of the fact that that is a huge opportunity for growth and it's something that can be improved. So it's not about, awareness is not about being great at everything. Awareness is being aware of the fact that we have these opportunities for growth. We have these weaknesses. We have these areas that can be improved and it matches what the rest of the world sees. And this is not about pandering for someone's approval or affection or adoration. It's about seeing yourself accurately. You know, that's one of the issues with classic narcissists is they lack massive awareness. The way they view themselves is not in alignment with the way the rest of the world views them. There's a huge disconnect and that's part of the problem. Yeah. Agreed. I love that because I had never really looked at it that way. So great share. I've got like two pages of notes here, Alan. Um, This has been tremendous. I really appreciate it. And I know the listeners are getting a ton of value here. Where can we go to learn more about you? And again, your books are tremendous. Everyone's got to read them, in my opinion. Well, this was so much fun. I enjoyed it thoroughly. You are a world-class listener, by the way, and you lead a great conversation. The hub is alansteinjr.com. And that pretty much will link you to anything and everything one could possibly need. I'm very active on social media, on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram. And my handle is at Alan Stein Jr. So if any part of this conversation resonated or you have a question or you want to share something, I take pride in being both accessible and responsive. So just shoot me a DM on Instagram or LinkedIn and I'll get back to you. And yes, if you're interested in either book, you can go to Amazon or Audible or anywhere that you get books and audiobooks and just search Raise Your Game or Sustain Your Game. And certainly if anyone listening, if you're putting on an event or you want someone to come in and speak to your team virtually or in person, just go to alansteinjr.com, fill out the contact form and someone on my team will get back to you. And we would love to make that happen. Beautiful. Alan, love it. Any final thoughts, anything I didn't ask you that you wanted to share as we wrap up here? No, this was so much fun. You do a phenomenal job. I really enjoyed this conversation and I hope your listeners found value in it. Same. And I'm going to be sure to tell my wife that you said I was a good listener because, and my son too, because, you know, sometimes I hear, hey, daddy, you listening to me or what? So make sure I do that. All right, everyone, make it a great day. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the W2 Prison Break Show. Don't forget, you can watch all full episodes on our YouTube channel. Definitely check that out and please subscribe. Go to www.w2prisonbreak.com to learn more. If you like this show, please leave us a rating and review so we can continue to support you and the thousands of others planning their W-2 prison break. Here's to busting you out.